Retail sales were up in the U.S. last month, but economists warn the industry is still in hot water. Meanwhile, Google has launched a new video shopping platform. And this just in, for the first time since the 1980s, Walmart will be staying closed on Thanksgiving. We've got the scoop and more on today's episode. It's Monday, July 27th, and this is your Retail Rundown. Today, we're joined by guests Bobby Marhamet and Greg Sterling. Bobby is the CEO of Radiant, a digital signage provider that helps businesses drive sales, improve the in-store experience, and reinforce brand messaging. Prior to Radiant, Bobby served as the COO of Revel Systems, where he worked on the front lines with over 25,000 brick-and-mortar retailers. Greg is the VP of Insights at Uberall, a marketing company that supports more than 1,500 brick-and-mortar retailers globally. Greg has also studied consumer behavior for the last 20 years. Bobby, Greg, thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to have you guys. The first bit of news, it's not our most positive. We're going to go over the current retail sales a little bit. So retail sales in the U.S. and around the globe saw a big increase during the month of June. In the United States, retail sales climbed 7.5% last month, following an 18.2% increase in May. Economists warn, however, that the momentum may not last long. Since mid-June, the number of daily new coronavirus cases in the U.S. has only continued to grow, reaching a record 71,000 on July 16th. Across the pond, governments in the European Union kept daily new coronavirus cases below 10,000 since May 7th, and that's according to data from the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control. In July 2020, total European retail sales regained 93% of trade volume that it had reached in February prior to the COVID-19 crisis in the region. Greg, I want to turn this question to you first. What do you think is on the horizon for retailers in the U.S. and abroad? Uh, I think the U.S. market and Europe may be in different situations for for some of the reasons you alluded to, because coronavirus is much more under control there. People are free to go out to brick and mortar stores in a way that they aren't here uh, or in many places in the country aren't here. And I think the jobs picture is better in Europe than it is here. You know, we're on the cusp of unemployment, the supplement running out. There's discussion about a new stimulus, but that's it's not entirely clear. It looks like it'll happen. But if they pass some more money and give people more stimulus, then we'll see that show up in the retail numbers. If not, we're going to see a, um, a decline further from uh, what we saw in June. Just to kind of piggyback on that, I think a little bit of that, what we will probably naturally see is it will take a little bit longer here than in Europe, in my perspective. But we will see some of that V-shaped kind of cycle come back over a certain period of time. I think it's going to be slower than what it is in, in Europe. But overall, I think we're going to see that come back. There's part of the reason that I think, uh, you know, cases have kind of gone up here and people want to get out and get back in the groove of things. And I think that'll happen indefinitely. We have to control it again, be safe, but that'll happen indefinitely. And, and we'll get back up to more of a kind of a V-shaped cycle, if you will. I disagree with that a little bit. I mean, I think we're going to have a longer recovery than the V. I think the fortunes of different retailers are going to be quite different from one another. There are going to be some retailers that are pretty successful, that are doing a lot of things right, that are delivering convenience to consumers, a lot of different options, and other retailers that are really struggling. I mean, one of the things that I think is widely, a belief that's widely held is that the coronavirus has really accelerated existing real t- retail trends or exacerbated them as the case may be. So we're seeing a lot of bankruptcies. There's the belief that many malls will fail. 
and that there's a, a shakeout that has been building for some time that's really accelerated now. And Greg, mentioning bankruptcies, the parent company of Ann Taylor, Asina, is the most recent one to file, and that was last Thursday, July 23rd. Yes, and with more to come. So I, I think there's going to definitely be winners and losers and not a lot of those in the middle. You know, you're either going to survive and be successful and make it through or you're, you're not. There aren't going to be too many people limping along, I think. Yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit of a shift. I agree there. Um, but I think the shift is, you know, as we're talking to you know, a bunch of retailers, part of and I'll, actually even e-commerce players, part of it is I think we're going to see smaller footprint stores come out of this. I think we're going to see malls look different, but we've even been talking to e-commerce players that are envisioning and talking about opening up smaller footprint stores and taking advantage of you know, post-pandemic, taking advantage of people wanting to get back into store locations. So at least that's the perspective that we're hearing. I think people do definitely want to get back into stores. You know, it's interesting, the buy online, pick up in store phenomenon. I think according to Adobe in April, there was more than 200% growth in May, as stores started to reopen, that leveled off a bit as people went into stores and weren't ordering things online as much. But I do think that there's a kind of a new hybrid model that's emerging where it's almost as though the relationship between the store and online has flipped a bit. And I'm a big advocate of traditional retail shopping and traditional stores, having worked in the local space for a long time. But I think, you know, in the past, people would go out, they'd go shopping. Online was an important part of their experience, but it was not necessarily the first thing that they would do. You know, there were a lot of people who would just go out and shopping was a form of entertainment. You'd go to store to store if you didn't find what you were looking for. Now, I think people are being much more focused. The internet is the first point of contact. And very often they want to understand if something is in the store or they want to buy something online and get it curbside. And I think that that's a shift that will persist, maybe not to the degree that it does when people are locked down, but I think we're going to see this sort of hybrid online offline model take hold in a, in a more profound way than it has. Mm -hmm. And Greg, you mentioned sort of the, the middle is the place where retailers might not last. And that reminds me of our friend, Steve Dennis, author of Remarkable Retail, and he always alludes to the boring middle and how there's a lot of tension there. Do you guys, just throwing this out there, do you guys think that department stores will live on post-pandemic? I think we're going to see them look a lot different. I think the ones that innovate, actually just kind of talking about this with a group that we're speaking to right now, but I think what it's going to look like, it's going to be smaller footprint stores. And I think there's going to be some store within store elements that come out of this where people can go and kind of experience and maybe, you know, buy online, that convergence of online and offline, I think is going to be key. But I think they're going to, some are going to live on. Uh, and the ones that live on are going to have to adapt pretty rapidly. They're going to look different. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty tough because, you know, you'll either have to be a discounter and people will shop you for price, or you'll have to ha provide some really enhanced experience that makes the store a fun, engaging interesting place to be. And, you know, the Coles of the world, the JCPenney's of the world are really going to struggle. Macy's also, I think, even though, um, you know, Macy's will probably survive, you know, and I think one of the other things that happens is that because of the instability of retail and every brand now becomes a direct to consumer brand in a different way than they have in the past, you know, where some brands, their primary channel was a store and there's secondary channel might have been online. I think now online has to become front and center and they're they're selling equally online as they are in the store. Mm -hmm. And DTC is a 
big trend as well. Do you think that's one of the most important models that we see today because of all the changes with the pandemic? My perspective, a little bit different in the sense that I think uh, directing consumer is going to be something that does naturally become kind of more front and center, if you will. But I do think it's especially apparent in the brands that have adopted curbside technologies and all that. I think curbside and other technologies for consumer will go up uh, percentage-wise is what they were before. But I think people are still going to want to go back in store and people are still going to want to have those experiences. I think to Greg's point, it's there's either going to be the brands that you know sell on, on price or there's going to be brands that create those great experiences. I think as we were talking about, that middle layer kind of goes away. If you can't figure out where you fit and you can't figure out how to interact with your your customers, uh, you're going to be in a bad place. But I think if you can figure out those two things, I think although technologies that are used right now, online, e-commerce, curbside, all that good stuff that's being utilize more so than ever is going to have a higher percentage point, but it's not going to overtake in my mind. I'm the guy here who's seemingly defending e-commerce, and that's not exactly my perspective. I mean, I'm, I'm a big advocate of stores, and I think people want the experience of touching, feeling, seeing products before they buy them. They want the immediacy that the store provides in terms of getting the product the same day. And so I think the stores that can do it right, that can offer convenience, that offer online curbside pickup, you know, real-time inventory, things like this are going to win. Stores become fulfillment centers for online transactions. They become return centers. But I think the store combined with a great online experience is the winning combination. I think it's challenging to pull it off and a lot of people won't be able to do it. Great points, Greg. And I think that you guys are a little bit aligned in that the in-store experience is not going away. And Bobby, with your company, Radiant, being a digital signage provider, are you guys in talks about, or do you already do this maybe, where voice is becoming a hot topic once again because people don't want to touch things as much or the screens are interactive you know, using AI with the cameras? Or what are you guys talking about when it comes to that? Well, we see a couple different things. Um, you know, a lot more screens are going to be used for education you know, as people come through, a lot more screens are going to be used for pushing out kind of safety information, definitely voice and basically being able to interact with the screen to get more information. That's definitely here in the future. And we've also recently came out with a kind of a virtual cashier, virtual expert type technology where you can interact with someone. Let's say, for example, you're walking down the aisles of uh, Lowe's. There's maybe no nail expert there. You can interact on screen with a nail expert, you know, sitting in, in corporate or wherever else and be able to have that interaction. So I think there's going to be, to Greg's point, I think the footprint's going to be a little bit smaller. I think there'll be return centers and fulfillment centers. But I do think there's going to be that interactive, that education piece that happens also in a touchless environment. And I think a lot of that technology is, uh, is here to stay. If I can make one final comment on this. I think what we're seeing, and, and Bobby pointed this out about the store experience, I think what we're seeing is digital coming into the store more and more. This has been talked about for a decade or more, but it's really happening. And that's what consumers are going to be engaged by and what they'll come to expect. You know, they've used mobile phones in the store for a long time and trying to also bring more of the store experience online, like with augmented reality, 3D views of products like you get on the Macy's website or the eBags website. And those are much more engaging, trying to bring much more visual information, much more concrete, tangible sense of products into the digital environment. So sort of a cross-pollination effect. Mm -hmm. And this is a great segue, Greg. You said bringing the store experience online. That's huge right now. So we'll move to our next topic. 
But first, I wanted to tell our listeners a little bit more about Vtex. Vtex is the first and only global, fully integrated end-to-end commerce solution with native marketplace and OMS capabilities. Vtex helps companies in retail, manufacturing, wholesale, groceries, consumer packaged goods, and other verticals to sell more, operate more efficiently, scale seamlessly, and deliver remarkable customer experience. Find out more about what VTEX can do for your business at www.vtex.com. As mobile increasingly becomes a major component of the purchasing journey, there's two tech giants looking to bring video shopping more into the mainstream. Announced last week, Google's R&D division, Area 21, is launching ShopLoop, a video shopping app that helps consumers discover new products in, get this, 90 seconds or less. ShopLoop users can swipe through short-form video clips that are detailing products, and if an item piques their interest, users can then either save the item or be linked directly to the product's webpage. Also entering the video shopping ring is Amazon, which on July 16th, they added live streaming to their existing influencer program. Facebook also quietly entered the space last year when it acquired video shopping startup Packaged, and the team is reportedly now working on a project for Marketplace. Although new to the scene, well, newer to the scene in North America, video shopping has played a major role in the Chinese e-commerce marketplace over the last few years. We had David Adelman on the show. He's a retail strategist and president of TAG, and he told Rethink Retail that video shopping accomplishes, quote, personalization coupled with brand trust, which will be crucial elements to success moving forward in all channels. Bobby, what is the potential appeal of Google's shop loop model over others in this space? It, it sort of reminds me of, of TikTok or Instagram shopping. Yeah, I think it's great. I think, you know, we're going to see, of course, as we've seen, you know, human attention spans are the lowest ever. And as we see a uh, fun element together with really video, I think that's going to be what it takes to be able to interact with more more consumers and be able to sell more product here. So I think it's a right product at the right time uh, in the industry. I think that the concept is right. The problem with the Google Area 120 projects is that they often don't do much to promote them and they wind up being shuttered a year later. So I think that, um, you know, it's conceptually right. And I think that younger audiences definitely will respond to it. So there's no issue there. It's just, I think the question is, it feels a little bit like a Me Too product, and will will it be able to sort of rise above some of the noise? That's the only question in my mind. Will it will it be sustainable for for Google? Because you know they just came out with this thing Keen, which is a Pinterest like product from the same group, and it's not for retail per se, although you could use it to save products. And I, I just think it's interesting. It has promise, but it's kind of Me Too, and it's going to disappear. And that I, I think that often happens with a lot of these so-called Google experiments. Mm-hmm. So Bobby, you said right product, right time. Greg, you said conceptually right, but we'll see about the execution. Sometimes they don't promote products as heavily. There's a big competitive landscape. Um, Google's a huge player, but so is Facebook and Amazon, some of the other ones. So It'll be interesting. Absolutely. And I think even, uh, you know, not particularly just, you know, shop loop, but I think video uh, in the in the next few years is going to be bigger than it was. And, and perspective there is even in-store, right? We're, we're seeing kind of a lot of, uh, you know, brands go in-store and put, you know, if it's a QR code that ties into a video that tells people about more about that product, tying that in to be able to create more, A, the experience, but also the education factor. So that's the in-store environment, but I think out-of-store also to helps you discover new products. So whether Google, yeah, I, I agree with Greg, 
in the sense that they have the right vision, but are they going to execute on that? That's, that's to be known. But I think video in general is going to be something that, that takes off in the next uh, few years. Yeah, I encountered a company called Cooler Screens, and they have a deployment in Walgreens, the cold case where you have you know ice cream and snacks and carbonated beverages and alcohol have these uh, see-through doors. And they replace them with digital screens that actually mirror the inventory in those cases, but they can also run ads or any kind of dynamic images and video on those screens that can be seen from across the store or up close. It's pretty interesting digital interactive experience in the store. And I, I thought of it because of the sort of broader topic of video. And so it's pretty intriguing as a customer experience that incorporates video. Absolutely. I love that example, Greg. And do you think this might become mainstream? Because uh, I, I believe they do have a lot of this technology implemented in China and some of the APAC region. But do you think this will become commonplace in our gas stations and, and grocery stores even? I would say if the engagement numbers are consistent with what I've seen from the company, then yes, you know, people seem to be more engaged. You know, they're selling more. One of the um, executives from the company was telling me, I have no relationship to this company. I just had an interesting conversation. Uh, One of the executives was telling me that they even saw lift in sales on branded products from these companies that were represented on the screens elsewhere in the store. Hmm. So it's pretty interesting. So yes, I think where the ROI case is proven, we're going to see more uh, deployments like that. And I think that uh, some brands are even thinking about ways to do this kind of in their storefronts, right? Like how do I put up uh, screens where even when I'm closed, people can you know see new product, maybe they see it in my uh, storefront, they can scan something, they can go kind of interact on, on their own phone learn more about a product and all that case. So so I I do think it's, again, using video in this fashion, using digital technology in this fashion. Also, we're going to see more of that even happen in the storefronts as you try to interact more with consumers. When QR codes were kind of more of a novelty, you know, they sort of have were hyped and then they sort of died down and now they're kind of coming back. But I can remember seeing out-of-home ads, giant billboards that had QR codes on them and you could interact with that billboard through your phone with the QR code if you could capture it which you could in most cases. And I thought that was pretty cool. It's not video, but it's an interactive element in a traditional ad context. And so I I totally agree with Bobby that more of these digital elements and video in particular will be coming to sort of traditional retail settings. Mm -hmm. And potentially grocers who we know run already on thin margins and even more so with the rapid adoption of grocery delivery services and things like that. So it might be also a way for them to monetize some of their existing space and and make up for some of the lost margin, but we'll see. Before we move on, let's hear some good news. As you'll hear in our last segment today, Walmart is issuing another round of bonuses to its employees. It's also keeping stores closed this Thanksgiving for the first time in over three decades. Best Buy has brought back approximately half of its 50,000 furloughed workers as demand returns. Year-over-year sales are up 15% for the period spanning mid-June to mid-July. It's also changing its pay structure to offer a starting wage of 15 per hour. New York City-based fashion designer Jason Wu opened his first freestanding boutique in Shanghai this July. Wu's label retails for $300 to $800, with his collection ranging even higher up to $25,000. 
The majority of inventory in the Shanghai store is only available at that location. And finally, discount grocer Aldi recently announced plans to open 70 more stores across the United States by the end of this year. I feel like we bring them up a lot recently. It's Walmart, so they're back in the news cycle. The retailer announced it would be issuing another round of bonuses to its employees, and they revealed last week it would provide between $150 and $300 to Walmart employees. So they also announced this is pretty big. They're keeping their stores closed this Thanksgiving 2020 and ending its Black Friday head start for the first time in over three decades. John Ferner, president and CEO of Walmart US, said the decision to close its retail stores on Thanksgiving serves as a thank you to Walmart's employees for, quote, stepping up during a trying year. Greg, what do you think about Walmart's decision to keep the lights off this Thanksgiving? Do you think other retailers will follow suit? I do think so. I mean, we don't know exactly what the world will look like at the end of November, but it's a safe bet in coronavirus hotspots that we're still going to have some version of what we've got now. I don't want to be cynical about the decision. I think it's a, a nice thing for the employees. Employees generally didn't like working on Thanksgiving. And I think it was of limited value to the retailer. So I think Walmart scores a bunch of points with its employees and presents itself as a compassionate and thoughtful uh, business. So I, I think it's it's positive and others will probably embrace this. And I think with uh, naturally with you know some of the sales game being pushed, uh, you know, online e-commerce, mobile, XYZ, like there's a level of that where they're probably assuming that a lot of shopping will still happen on those formats and, and the store environment is probably not going to have that much traffic to begin with. So I think it's a nice to have for employees, but it's also, in my mind, it's a strategic move as well. Mm-hmm. So you said it's a strategic move and Greg, you said it positions them as a compassionate and thoughtful business. You know, perhaps there is a little bit of a play there because I think if they were making tons of uh, profit the day of Thanksgiving, they would probably keep it open. But Who's to say, right? Yeah, and I think a bunch of you know sales will will happen regardless. Well, it depends, right? It depends on how, how people interact, but they can interact online, mobile, even during Thanksgiving. I think it's uh, one of those messages that's a feel good effect to consumers. It's definitely feel good for employees, and they're probably betting that they will uh, be able to make either make more or make make the same amount by closing down stores. Yeah, and e commerce has been growing dramatically during that whole Black Friday weekend period. So I, I think that they're going to see healthy online sales. So it's almost a no-brainer for them at this moment. Well, do you guys think that this season will be different? Because just last season, 2019, there were rumors that Black Friday could potentially be dying in a sense. And the doorbusters are no longer better in store. It's the same price online. So why go? Do you guys think that we'll see a decline or it will just be extended and, and almost Cyber Monday will be the the big hitter here? Yeah, I mean, I think that the sales are, are distributed across the weekend and many people seek to avoid the mania and craziness of the Black Friday crowds. I, I mean, again, this year is a, a very different year. But yes, it had been losing momentum and it had been leaking to other days and you're very correct about the uh, the benefits of going into the store are greatly reduced. What's important here to point out, though, is that the store plays a critical role with e-commerce. This is something that I think is not well understood and not often talked about, is that stores enable e-commerce. 
So if you have a store in an area, e-commerce sales are going to be really healthy and people have confidence to buy online because they know they can bring it back to the store. They might mm. take risks buying things that, is this going to fit? Will I like the color? They might take certain kinds of risks, recognizing that if it doesn't work out, they'll bring it back to the store, no problem. If you don't have that store there, people are going to be more cautious. And so even though the store is closed, its presence facilitates e-commerce because it gives people confidence to buy online. And I think that that's something that has not been talked about a lot or is not well understood, but I think, well, maybe it's well understood by some, but I, I think, you know, among analysts, it's not well understood. But it's very important that the store supports and helps e-commerce. And I agree with that. And I think there are certain industries that will take a little bit more of a hit than they would if we were completely open. I think, you know, the apparel industry is one, you can definitely buy online and it's getting easier and it's getting better and you can and you can create those experiences. But I think that's one of the industries that people still want to go in. They still want to look, uh, touch and feel and be able to kind of interact in that store environment. So I think depending on, again, where we are in November, I think different industries could see a shift in, in buying behavior, could see um, shifts in that regard, but lots to be seen uh, until we get to that point. I totally agree with you about apparel. I mean, I as a personal anecdote, I have this uh, pea coat that I've had for years and I really like it, but it's kind of worn out now. And I've been trying to replace it. And I've made maybe four or five online purchases of coats that look good, sort of resemble the one that I had from different brands. And they come in the mail or UPS. I try them on, they don't fit. And it's just so frustrating. Mm. And so I've stopped doing that because I only now will buy clothes online that I know fit because I've bought them before. I'm familiar with the brand. But I think Bobby's right is that, you know, again, this goes back to e-commerce cannot totally replace the store. It's a compliment to the store, but it's not a replacement in many cases. Yeah, agreed. You know, Julia, to answer your uh, kind of initial question of Black Friday and just kind of that Thanksgiving weekend, Cyber Monday, all that good stuff. I think because, you know, consumers have had to shift even more so uh, than they have. Brands have had to shift. We'll see things be different. But do I think sales are going to be down across the board? I mean, a lot is also dependent on the economy and where we are. So lots to be seen. But I think if everything kind of is status quo as it is today, I think overall we're going to see an, an okay Black Friday weekend. Again, certain industries are probably going to get harder than others that you can't go touch and feel. But overall, uh, most brands are going to be okay. And we will wait to find out. And just so our listeners, uh, a little reminder, last year, U.S. digital sales on Thanksgiving and through Black Friday grew 17%. So that was over $4 billion. Uh, that's according to Salesforce. And then uh, retail next report also found that brick and mortar traffic was slightly down by 2.1%. So maybe a slight shift last year to digital, we might see more this year, but to both Bobby and Greg's points, it's still important to have stores as sort of an anchor because customers have more confidence, as you guys were saying. Bobby, Greg, thank you so much for joining the rundown today. It was great to have you on and loved hearing your expertise. Thank you much. You've been listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. For sponsorship opportunities, send us an email at media at rethink.industries. You can help support our team at Rethink Retail by dropping us a rating and review on your iTunes podcast app. To each and every one of you, thanks so much for tuning in. Retail never sleeps. See you next week.